we said, let's, uh, we're starting a new life here in this new house. Let's walk every day. Okay, the first day we did, it was a little tough. And she's smiling back there. She knows what, she knows the end of this story. <laughs> uh, but we made this commitment. The first day was a little tough, uh, but the second day got a little easier. The third day, it was even easier. The fourth day, it was the easiest of all of them because we didn't go. And, <laughs> and so, but after a few months, we said, let's recommit ourselves and do this, even if it's cold outside, if it's rainy, if it's whatever it is. Well, that didn't last four days. It, but we did recommit. <laughs> but we used any excuse that we could to get out of it. Um, now, about the only uh, walking we do is back and forth to the refrigerator, and we. But we do do we do that two or three times a night. So, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a short story that that I've told before, and uh, but it bears repeating, uh, if not for you, for me. Uh, I was working for Mercury Marine for 25 years. I decided that it was not for me anymore because uh, I just would wake up in the morning and say, I, I don't want to go to work. Let me think of a reason. But my nature would not allow me to come up with a reason, so I had to go to work. And I told Corrine that I was, I was very d unhappy, and she said, well, just quit. Thank you, Corrine. <laughs> uh, and I gave him a six-week notice. I could find a job in six weeks, easy. Well, no, I couldn't. Uh, five and a half weeks into that six-week notice, I still hadn't gotten a job. So I decided that I was going to speak to God. I was standing in the shower, and I said, I haven't spoken to him in a while. But I said, God, if you will help me get a job, I will do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Well, the next day, I got a job. Now, I made a commitment that day, one that I wasn't real sure where it was going to take me, but I felt like I had to do it. God committed to me more than 67 years ago. He'd been patiently waiting for me to uh, make the commitment to him. He knew where it was going to take me. Now, that commitment story, I have held true to that commitment story. I come every Sunday. I come, I do whatever's asked of me, even though he's asked me to do some stuff that makes me very uncomfortable, uh, this being one of them. Uh, he's asked me to do some very uncomfortable things for me. But I made that commitment, and I'm guessing, I'm feeling that that was a commitment of the heart, that he did what he did for me, and I'm going to do what I can for him. When you join the church, the United Methodist Church, you're asked to make five commitments. It goes like this. We give thanks for all that God has already given us. As members of the body of Christ and in the, this congregation of the United Methodist Church, we will faithfully participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, that in everything God be glorified through Jesus Christ. First, I want to tell you about ministries. This is uh, something that that I've had on my mind for a long time, that a lot of people don't understand that word ministry. They think that they're going to have to uh, 
go back to school and go to the seminary. Well, that's not what it is at all. Ministry is used to show a function or a service. You don't need to go to seminary or even know what the first book of the Bible or the, or the last is. All you have to do is say yes. Make a commitment to one of those uh, or all those commitments. Make a commitment to those commitments. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. I serve as a ministry. Cleaning the church is a ministry. The Axe Dinner is a ministry. Hosting a small group is a ministry. So you can see ministry is not theologically tied. It's just something that you do for the community, for, the, for your church. But back to the five commitments, prayers. I see on Facebook a lot of times people say, oh, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. Well, people need to pray for the people on that ask for prayer. They also need to pray every day for themselves and for this church and for the, the community. Presence. You're expected to be here every week. Corrine and I don't wake up on Sunday mornings and say, well, I don't want to go today. Let's just stay in bed. But no, we're here. And that's what you're asked to do is just show your presence. Speaking of presence, the next one's gifts. Um, financial gifts, obviously, is, is a big portion of it. But also the gifts of your talents, the painting, the decorations, everything, uh, the media, all that is gifts that you may have that you can share with the church. And that goes right into service. Just come and, and do those things. Commit to doing them. Say, yes, I'll do it and be here. And probably the most important is witness. Witness to people about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for you in your life and what he can do for them in their lives if they'll just accept him and make a commitment to him. I'd like to finish with uh, the chapter and ver uh, book and chapter and verse that this commitment uh, segment is around. Then said, it's Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. We worship God also through doing justice. Um, the people of Israel came to Micah and they wanted to know what do we need to do to get for forgiveness from God. We're offering all these sacrifices, so tell us what we need to do. And Micah said, it's not that easy. He said, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Israelites wanted it easy. It's not that hard to go out and kill a lamb, or what actually it'd be hard for me, but it wasn't for them, to go out and make a sacrifice. That was not a big thing for them. But Micah tells us that God has higher expectations. God expects us to do justice. And it's not a suggestion. It's not a please would you do it. He says... He requires it. He expects us to. The people of God are required to do justice. We're required to treat others in a way that is good and right. 
and not according to my standards of what is good is good and right or Caden's standards or Sean's standards, but God's standards. And God gave us these rules over and over in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments, Big Ten, are easy to break down into two categories. God is the most important and treat everybody the way you should treat them. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. He expects us to love him and to fear him and to treat, take care of others. We're like the Israelites. I'm like the Israelites. I want to give money to UMCOR or to ISERV and say, I have done my part because I've given, you know, what I didn't spend to go to these things. That's the easy way out, and that's good. Go ahead and give to ISERV, give to UMCOR, give to all of these things that take care of other people. But that's not what God is asking. He wants sacrificial giving, but more than that, he wants action. He wants us to do justice in our society, and that means that we have to recognize and we have to address those underlying causes of injustice in our society, not just here where we have people that we like, but everywhere. It requires us to work to ensure that everybody worldwide has adequate housing and food and clothing and health care, to work to end discrimination based on race or religion or ethnicity or gender or height challenge. Um, it requires that we stand against speech that is demeaning to anybody, that we stand against harassment and bullying. I'll be honest, I get overwhelmed because there is so much injustice in the world. And when I get un overwhelmed, what I tend to do is retreat and do nothing. I don't know if you have that problem. I tend to step back and not do anything. I believe that the answer to this being overwhelmed is in the second thing that Micah says God requires, is to love kindness. Now notice God didn't say you need to do kindness, because I can do kindness pretty easily. It's the loving the kindness that I have trouble with. We're required to love kindness and mercy and to do those things with happiness, with joy, feeling not that we're great because we did this act of kindness, but feeling the joy of giving to someone else. There are people throughout the world who are weaker than us or poorer than us or oppressed, and God says we need to help them because we are joyfully helping them. Jesus emphasized this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You all know the story. Um, we assume that it's a Jewish guy. He goes out. He's traveling. He gets beat up and robbed. He's left by the side of the road to die. Three people come down the road. The first one is a priest, the servant to God, the one who stands in front of us and says, Oh, how holy thou art. Let us serve our Lord. And what did the priest do? He crossed the road and walked on by. And then here comes a Levite. A Levite was a worship leader. 
He worked in the church. He's very holy. He's doing God's work. And what does he do? He walks on by. And then comes a Samaritan. Now, you have to understand that Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were treated by the Jews very much like um, African Americans were treated under Jim Crow laws. They were hated. They were oppressed. They were um, assaulted. They were, you don't even talk to them. This was a Samaritan who was hated by the person lying on the road. What did the Samaritan do? He helped him. He picked him up. He washed him off. He dressed his wounds. He took him to an inn. He told the innkeeper, here's some money. I want you to take him, keep him here, and take care of him. And if it costs more than I have given you here, then the next time I come by, I'll pay you. The Samaritan took his enemy. The Samaritan took the person who hated him and did what God wants us to do. This is the true kind of mercy and kindness that God wants from us. In Matthew 25, 31 through 40, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Go out and do justice. When Jesus said that you should love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, we need to think of our actions. We also need to show our love for God through our own unique ways. This can be done through our talents. I played the saxophone the other day for Youth Sunday. Jesse did an interpretive dance. Noah acts and speaks. And our other youth members show their love in ways only they know how to do. Sydney may use volleyball. Lane may use his love of nature. Landon may use running as his time to be with God. We all use our talents in different ways. Some may use their musical abilities for God. Some may use their athletic abilities for God and some may use other special talent to give to God. When we love God, we show it through many different ways. We do not have to show it in the same way as our neighbor. We don't have to show it in the same way as our pastor. We, we all have our ways of worship and our ways for you to decide. The first four of the Ten Commandments show how we should love God by putting him first. This means that we should come to church happy, smiling, and loving. This doesn't mean we have to stay in beyond Sabbath day. 
and stay in bed on the Sabbath day and then come to church groggy, grumpy, and like, ugh, do I have to? <laughs> but we should come like, yes, I get to go to church today. We should also pray to God. This means every day, not once a week. Think of family. If you only talk to them once a week, would you still have the same relationship as you do now? What about your spouse or other loved ones? Would you still have the same relationship as you do now? If you said yes, you need to work on your relationships. When you put God first, do you only come to church when you have to, when you do not have anything else on your schedule and it is free? We do make podcasts, so there's no getting out of this one. Do you give to God first or do you give what is left over? This means do you give to God only when you have something else to spend your money on, when you don't have anything else, sorry. If you're giving to God like you should, church should be a yes and prayers, offerings in your time should be a double yes. If we all gave to God first, the church would not have financial problems. We would need to devote the Sabbath day to God, devote the first of what you have to God, and time each day and span of your life praying to God. Prayer will help you along your journey with God. We all have relationships with God. That Think of it as a relationship. If you don't talk to God often, it is not a very strong relationship. You do not get the full relationship or the fruits of it. The relationship is dull and boring. Give your all, and you will get the most out of it. Some of your relationships may look different than others, but we all should devote our lives toward him. He gave us our lives, so we should give him our all. It does not matter if we have the money for something we really want. We should still give offering to the church. Even if you do not have money, you can give your time. Everything you give for God is good, so give all your all to God, and good things will come. When God says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, we may think of our own actions. Our own actions towards others, this includes your brothers and sisters, need to show our Christian love in ways that people may not expect us to be. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul described Christian love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. This shows that we treat others in Christian love. Be patient when your brother kicks you in the face. Be kind when even to people who are not nice to you. Don't envy others, even if they have a MacBook Pro. Don't brag when you give the best part of the sermon. Don't be proud of what you, <laughs> don't be proud of what you have been given. Look out for the interests of others. Don't get angry, even when somebody takes the last cookie. Forgive others when they hurt you. I forgive you for kicking me in the face, Will. Um, in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus said, You're, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It all began as one age-old question. What would you say if you knew you were going to die and had a chance to sum up everything that was most important to you? Several years ago that actually happened. There was a professor from Carnegie Mellon who had cancer and had been told that he had six months of good health and then a little longer and then he would die and he did. He gave what was called the last lecture, where he got up and he told to the world, to his children, to his family, 
what was most important to him. And I'm not going to go through that. It's online. You can just look up the last lecture if you'd like to hear that. But the, the subject of his lecture was how to achieve your childhood dreams. I asked you this morning, if you had one last lecture to give, what would it be? And what I'd like for you to do is just bow your head for just a minute and think about that. After Jesus was crucified and he came back to the earth, he had a very, very limited time with his disciples. So the things that he had to tell them was very important. All of it was. But shortly before he left this earth, he didn't die, of course. He went back to heaven. But shortly before he left this earth, he gave this command to his disciples before he ascended into heaven and we find that in Matthew 19 and I'll give you a minute if you want to look it up and I'll be reading from the NIV version of the Bible and I think it's up on the screen yeah so you don't have to look it up you just look up it, this is also known as the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples and gave to us therefore go and make disciples of all the nation baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I always look at this scripture as kind of Jesus' last lecture. He's telling the disciples and he's telling us, what's the most important thing that you need to know? This scripture is so important that it's listed as the mission of us as United Methodists. The Book of Discipline, which I've learned a lot about going through the classes. Mike's laughing back there because he knows what I'm talking about. But going through the uh, lessons that I've gone through with the uh, Lay Servant uh, series, I've learned a lot about the Book of Discipline, how hard it is to find things. And that's another story for another day. But I learned a lot more about it. But one of the things that's in the book of discipline is our mission. And I'm going to read that to you. It says the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. If anybody ever asks you what is the mission of our church, that's what it is. It's on all the websites for the United Methodist Church. And more importantly, it's in the book of discipline. Jesus said this to the disciples because this is what he expected of them to tell others about him to make disciples and, and you notice too he doesn't say this is a great suggestion or only people like pastor might do this it's all of us all the disciples we're all disciples of Jesus the other thing that he gives us as we said in a service I don't know a couple of Sundays ago he gives us the power. Where does he give us the power? Acts chapter 1, 8. Again, reading from the NIV. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
as Christians who worship as United Methodists, we have been given a directive, a commission by Jesus when he gave it to the disciples to go out and make disciples of the whole world. In Paul, through Acts, he tells us we have the power to do that, right? The Lord has commanded us to take this and to put our faith into action, to get out and do it. Like Vicki was saying earlier, not to sit on the sideline and do it, but to actually get out and put our faith into action. So my last question to you today as we end is, question I asked to myself, what are you going to do about it?